Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life in Sport podcast, and we're joined by a very special guest. Um, you may have seen him previously on Shah Nen's um, podcast, podcast episode. It's, um, he's played for Sydney FC. He also had a, a stint at Margate, Woking, Morecambe, and even QPR. His name is Terry McFlynn. Thank you for joining me today, and how's your day going so far? CJ, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, all good over here in Western Australia, apart from we've got a little bit of rain today for a change. Ah, that's not bad. Um, might might make you feel a bit like back home over in over in Ireland, over in the over there. Um, so and speaking of over in Ireland, you grew up, were born, raised, all that jazz in Ireland, Northern Ireland in particular, um, in Swatra. What was that like growing up there? And you played um, Gaelic football for a majority of your youth life you know up until you're about 16 um so what was that like as well yeah it was good look Swatter's a very small village um in south Derry in northern ireland um <clears throat> everyone knows everyone there was a little um uh, gillick team hurling team in the village michael davitz um, was only small back then i think it's a lot bigger now um i was back home recently and um, was up around the new the new <coughs> new pitch new changing rooms and um the facilities is absolutely fantastic the kids growing up now, but yeah, it was good. It was a really good childhood. Um, you know, like you said, I played Gaelic football uh, from the age of probably 10 or 11, um, started off at under 12s and um, all the way through to probably 14, I, I think I finished playing. <clears throat> I went to St. Pat's uh, Mahara, um, which mm-hmm. is the, the local high school, and, and we probably had the best Gaelic team in, in Ireland at that time. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, Mahara's. Um, St. Pat's, sorry, is the focal point in, in South Derry for a lot of the, the villages and townships around um, where the kids would go to school there. So a lot of from a very, very small village. Um, the school itself was was very big. Um, and let's say we had the pick of all the best players from <laughs> the whole county. So uh, invariably we'd win um, most competitions, the Dalton Cup, Cornyn Oak, Ranafast, um, Hogan Cup, McCrory Cup, sorry. Um, although I never played in the Ranafast or McCree, Corn and Ogan and Dalton was the only two that I, I played in and, and won both mm-hmm. of them. Well, oh, wow. And then, yeah, probably at the age of uh, 14, I started uh, playing football, playing, started playing soccer. Yep. Uh, a local club called Glenview United, um, just some branch from school, and then on to Maharaj Colts, and um, that was it. Yeah, nice. Um, was just the decision to switch from um, Gaelic football to soccer just because you wanted to play more sport with your mates sort of thing? Uh, look, I've always watched soccer every Sunday back then. Uh, the first division, as it was, the Premier League wasn't in then. It was on TV, um, so I'd always watch the, the football with my Uncle Mark and um, every Saturday night I'd go down to his house and we'd watch match of the day and and then we started just going to the park every day and playing football. And um, and then we said, well, you know, rather than just the two of us playing in the park every night, why don't we join a team? So, um, like I say, I joined Glenview United. It was the first soccer team I joined. Um, that was just with a bunch of friends from school. Yep. Um, and then from there, we played in the South Derry and District Youth League. Uh, Mahara Colts was the strongest boys club in, in South Derry at the time. And the manager there was a guy called Robin Clark, who's a wonderful man. Um, I joined the Mahara Colts, um, got picked to play for South Derry and District in the Mill Cup, which is a sort of prestigious youth tournament in, in Northern Ireland. Yep. Um, and yeah, from there, uh, a few scouts obviously watched the Mill Cup and there's a few um, opportunities of trials in the UK and 
England and Scotland. Um, and then it was coming up around the time for the Northern Ireland Schoolboys um, selection and trials. Mm-hmm. I started going to that every uh, Tuesday night and every Saturday morning. Um, myself and Mark would, would set off from Swatcher to drive to Belfast, um, which nowadays isn't that big a deal. But <laughs> back then it was a big thing. Um, you know, we had to drive to about an hour and 20 minutes um, each way. Um, oh, wow. That's a commitment. Yeah, it was to the other side of Belfast, um, to Danny Blindsflower Stadium in, in East Belfast. Um, and yeah, that went, that went on for probably, I'd probably say three months, three to four months um, until the actual squad was selected. And thankfully I got into the into the squad and um, that was it, the first um, Northern Ireland squad that I made. Yeah, nice. And is that sort of when you realised, you know what, this is a, a real opportunity, like a real potential for me to, you know, m- make it in, in football sort of thing? Yeah, look, it all sort of happened pretty quick, CJ. To be honest with you. Yeah, it t- definitely sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, look, we started playing for Glenview United and that was you know a bit of fun. And um, then we moved to Mahara Colts and that was a little bit more serious and made the South Derry team for the Mill Cup. Um, and then... Yeah, within probably 18 months of my first soccer game, I was playing international football against England at Middlesbrough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's um, definitely a, like, that's a, so quick compared to some players they start playing, you know, at six years old sort of thing. Yeah, so it was, it was very quick. Um, probably thankfully in, um, on my part that Northern Ireland's a small country and uh, probably at that age group, there wasn't that many to pick from. So Yeah, true, uh, true. Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, like I said, uh, before you know, traveling as an international footballer it was something that I'd never done before. You know, yep. you're on planes and buses and hotels and different training facilities, and um, just the organization was great. Um, with all the people involved for the Northern Ireland schoolboys, Davy Cairns, um, Eddie Coulter, all everyone that was involved was was fantastic. Um, and they really gave us a real good grind. And as as kids and a lot of them boys went on to play in, in England. Um, at that time, most of the boys were going for trials and signing for clubs and, and that's how sort of my opportunity at QPR came around. I was literally about to say, and that speaking of, you know, trials and going to the UK and all that sort of stuff, you did end up at the Youth Academy of QPR and what was that like, you know, moving away from home, from, you know, the basically everything you knew sort of thing other than football, um, down to, you know, the, the UK or England and yeah, going through the Youth Academy at QPR. Yeah, look again, that was a sort of a fortuitous moment for, for myself. Um, the head of the Youth Academy at uh, QPR, a guy called Chris Keeler. Um, mm-hmm. we, were, we were playing the Republic of Ireland in Dublin um, and he was actually there to watch John O'Shea um, and for whatever reason, I had a, a pretty good game that day. Um, I don't know how he seen anything because it was nil-nil, most boring game of football ever. But <laughs> um, we finished nil-nil and after the game, um, the QPR scout from from Northern Ireland, a guy called Ray Murder, um, contacted myself and my uncle and said, look, the QPR head of the academy was at the game and he's interested in signing you, um, taking you to London. Um, so then it was a couple of weeks later, we played Wales at Dungannon um, and again, Chris came across and that was basically it. Um, I think that was around the February time. Um, I signed a schoolboy form, which tied me to the club until July. Yep. Uh, and then obviously I'd done my GCSEs and finished school in May, uh, end of May, June. And then 
short uh, time at home. And then 1st of July, flew to London. Um, um, my mum and dad both came with me uh, to sign the contract. And that was it. I started it on the 1st of July at QPR. Um, yeah, wow. It was a strange sort of um, feeling to start with, CJ. You know, obviously coming from a very small village in Ireland, there was yeah. 400 people in the village. So uh, the street I lived in in London, there was probably more people lived on the on the street than I'd uh, ever came across in my life. So wow. it was a bit, bit daunting and um, obviously finding my way around London as a 16-year-old boy um, was a challenge. Um, but I was very fortunate that the digs that the, the club organised for me. Um, I was living with a, another Irish lad from Scaries, just outside Dublin. That, that would have um, made it a bit easier that, that it was another Irish guy that you were living with? Yeah, and the family was Irish as well. So the Oh, wow. Uh, landlady Pauline, um, her family was from, from Kerry. Um, I still speak to her now. Um, you know, she's a, a wonderful woman and made us feel so much at home. You know, That's like, good to dinners, hear. Her dinners, yeah, her dinners were fantastic, and I think there was actually a couple of times um, she was called into the club and um, said that she was feeding us too much. Me and Barry was getting too fat, <laughs> so we had to rein it in a little bit. But um, no, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful time, wonderful experience to be in. Now that's good to hear, and as you said, that's like a, a lot of teams. M- obviously nowadays think think about that think about the players you know like whether it's a like a player from another nation they'll try and set them up with a, a teammate that's from that same nation but back then that was more or less unheard of you would like which is you know QPR were definitely um ahead of their time in that respect and it definitely would have benefited you so much so I just want to tangent back into real quick your uncle Mark because you you speak very highly of him so far about a lot of your football journey beginnings um would you say that he was one of the main um you could say inspirations or you know that sort of thing that really helps you get onto that track of you know of soccer oh definitely look he's been the, the biggest influence on my career um no that's the wording yeah um yeah look from a very very young age um like i said we were in the park every night um from probably five five o'clock to ten o'clock every night training wow um, and then, like I said, when the opportunities came up to to go on trial with Northern Ireland, you know, he, he was there every single day to drive me to training Saturday mornings, early mornings. Um, yeah, he took me everywhere, did everything with me. Um, came across to London. Um, he came out here to Australia. Um, oh wow! Even up until the day I retired, he was the first person I'd I'd speak to after a game um, just to see. Um, how I played because uh, he was always the he'd the, be the honest critic. <laughs> yeah, he was the one that told me the truth. So, um, in, in my career, I didn't play too many good games. So, yeah, we always had uh, robust conversations after the games. Fair enough. Um, and obviously, after your time at QPR, um, you went to Woking and Margate and Morecambe. What was it like playing for those clubs? Yeah, it was good. Look, I think if you ever get the opportunity to play. Um, football for a living, you can't knock it. Um, and I know there's some people that, that say, oh, this club wasn't great, that club wasn't great. But for me, all the clubs that I played for was fantastic. Um, I enjoyed my time there. Of course, there was challenging times. Um, but for me, if, uh, if there's a challenge, it makes you stronger. And I think, you know, I left QPR at a time when uh, ITV Digital had bought the rights of the, the Football League. Yep. Uh, and just before that deal commenced, um, ITV Digital as the company collapsed. Um, so the all the funding that was 
due to coming to the clubs and the clubs had budgeted for was no longer there. Um, so yep. there was, there was a, a lot of players um, around that time that were scrambling for jobs. And um, I think at QPR, we, we had 19 players that was out of contract in that one oh. that one end of season. Um, Damn. Meetings, which you, you never like to go through, you never um, want to experience, but it's part of life, you know? Yeah. Um, so from there, I had a couple of trials at different clubs. I went to Leighton Orient, I went to Colchester um, with the opportunity to potentially stay in the Football League. Um, I was supposed to go um, to Germany with Leighton Orient um, on a pre-season tour. Um, and then because of obviously funding and budgets or whatever, they didn't take any trialists to, on the tour. Um, mm-hmm. So I got a call from Woking um, and basically said, look, we've got a game this weekend. We know you've, you don't have a club. Do you want to come down and play for us and see how it goes? They were actually playing Swindon Town. So I thought, well, I'll go down. It'll keep keep me fit. It's an opportunity to get another game under my belt. And Yeah, of course. You never know if I play well. There might be an opportunity at Swindon. But um, after the game, Colin Lippiet was the manager of Woking. Um, and yeah, he basically called me in and say, look, we want to want to sign you. Um, this is the sort of financial terms that we're looking at. Um, and yeah, for me, it was good. Uh, probably the only downside of it to start with was that it was going part-time. Um, okay. So we were training as a squad. We were training Tuesday, Thursday nights and playing games on Saturday. Um, okay, so, so there, literally like semi-pro type stuff. Yeah. So there was yeah. a there was a, a little group of us um, that had come out of the football league. So we would meet up every day and train um, okay. every day ourselves and then obviously uh, train with the team at night. And um, But Woking was a very ambitious club. Um, they had real ambitions to get back in, to get into the football league, sorry. Um, they spent a lot of money on players. We had a guy, Scott Steele from Scotland, who was playing the left wing. Very, very skillful, tricky. With Warren Patmore as a striker, who's probably one of the best non-league strikers ever. Um, and I think at that time, we ended up with about 30-odd players um, in the yeah. squad. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was just one of them. It was frustrating at times, easy because you know Colin was a lovely guy. God rest him, he's there now. He was he was trying his best to keep everyone happy. Um, he was rotating the squad, and you know we were playing in the conference, we were playing in the um, Sussex Cup, we were playing in the Southeast Counties Cup, playing in everything, every competition that we, we could play in, just so we could rotate the squad and give everyone opportunities. But I was only a young boy then, so I needed to be to be playing. Um, Colin then stepped down from from the role. And Jeff Chapel came in, um, and Jeff was a, a great man. Um, and he was straight up and down with everyone. He was so honest. Um, he just tell you how it was, and he, he basically came yeah. in his first man, and he said, "Look, I don't know half of you from a bar, so but half of you have to go. I've got to cut the wage bill in half." Oh. So he basically two, three training sessions, and then made his decision on who he wanted to keep and who he wanted to, to move on, and. So he called me in the office one day before training and basically just said, look, you know, you're not going to play in my team. So we've got to move on. So, which was fine. Um, and I said, well, it, it, It'd still be a bit disheartening to hear that you're not in the coach's future plan sort of thing, even though it, everything happens for a reason and, you know, there's opportunities elsewhere. It's still, you know, you work so hard and you just get a little bit deflated a little bit sort of thing. Yeah, of course, CJ. I think it's, it's harder have those conversations when you don't have a contract. So the, the mm. conversation at QPR was more difficult because I was actually out of contract and I had no income. Um, yeah. At least at, at Woking, I had a two-year contract and I knew, well, 
I didn't have to leave until I find a new job. Um, yeah, yeah. Jeff was was fantastic with that, and he he made that abundantly clear. He said, "Look, oh, that's good. Then we're not going to kick you to the street. Um, try and find a new club. Get your agent to look for clubs, and once you get a club, then we'll terminate and you move on." Um, yeah, and that, that's, that's what happened. That's good then. <clears throat> yeah, he was which, fantastic. The club which was your next club is then Margate, and what was that like going over to Margate? Margate was brilliant. Um, you know, I'll speak very, very fondly about my time at, at, at Margate. Um, and that came about from a, a really good friend of mine, Gareth Graham, um, who was at Crystal Palace to start with. And then he moved to Brentford um, when Ron Nodes was the chairman of uh, Crystal Palace. And then he brought he bought Brentford. A lot of the Crystal Palace boys went with him to, to Brentford. And, and Ginger was playing regular for Brentford. Same thing, the A3 Digital um, collapse. He found himself out of work. Um, again, he both of us was at walking together. Um, he probably moved a week or two weeks before me. Um, and then once he found out that I was leaving walking as well, he called me and said, look, we need a midfielder here at Margate. Why don't you come down here with us? So my first sort of thoughts was, well, I was living in London. Walking was just outside London, which was commutable. It was fine. But Margate's obviously right down the south coast. So I thought, no, I'm going to have to move all the way down to Margate, uproot everything. Yeah. Um, the, the best thing about it was that the club trained in Gravesend, which is just outside London. Just oh, that's good. Yeah, and all the players lived in London. So oh, even better. Didn't have to move. We only ever actually went to Margate for home games. Okay, that's not too bad then. Yeah, it was good. And the, the bunch of boys that was there, we had such camaraderie together. You could all carpool down to the home games sort of thing. We did. We did. Yep. The manager actually... <laughs> I think it was Northridge Victoria we played and there was a crash on the M25 and there was about seven players was late because we're all carpooling. (laughs) (laughs) So he was raging. That's how he he tried to bring in a rule that no more than two players in a car. Ah, okay. We, um, yeah, that never worked. (laughs) Shared the the drive and shared the cost as well. But yeah, uh, so that was brilliant. And for away games, we'd obviously meet it. London, Houston, the train station, and we get the train. Yep. The coach would go ahead of us, pick us up, um, whatever train station we got off up north. Um, but yeah, that that group of boys was oh, fantastic. They had come up three divisions before myself and and Garth Graham joined. Lee Turner, the goalkeeper, joined. Um, Simon Baird, um, Darren Braith, uh, Leon Braithwaite. Um, yeah, with John Keister in midfield, who's a Sierra Leone international. Um, yeah, they were really, really good. Good, honest, genuine guys that love playing football, love playing for each other, and, and enjoyed the crack as well. <clears throat> That's amazing. And obviously, after Margate, you went to Morecambe. What was it like playing for that team? And again, being around the club and whatnot. Yeah, Morecambe was was completely different to to Margate. Uh, Morecambe was full time, so okay, that's good. Yeah, so that was an opportunity <clears throat> which I've seen to get back full time to get professional again. Um, the manager was a guy called Jimmy Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jim was the assistant manager of uh, Northern Ireland with Sammy McElroy. Okay. So I was fortunate to be still playing um, for Northern Ireland when I was at Walking and Margate in the under 21s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, when we have an international game, the under 21s would play the day before the, the senior team. So Jimmy was always there. He was always running the hotel and we'd always catch up. And because he was managing Morecambe in the conference and I was playing in the conference, we, we obviously saw quite a bit of each other. Um, and he, he always said, look, you're going to come and play for me one day. Um, <laughs> and we played them on the Saturday at home at, at Margate and I scored. 
And then after the game, we're just having a beer in the bar afterwards. And he said, look, I'm serious. I want you to come and play for me. So I said, well, yeah. look, I, I want to get back full time. So if, if the two clubs can um, sort it out and, and Chris Kinnear, who was the manager of Margate at the time, was happy to let me go, then that's what I wanted to do. I spoke to Chris and he was fantastic. Um, I said, look, you know, I've always wanted to get back full time professional and it's an opportunity. And he just said, mate, you go of our blessing. No problem. You've done well for us. Um, you move on. So, yeah, I moved up to Morecambe. Um, again, wonderful people. They were owned by a guy called Peter McGuigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he owned Umbro. Um, so he's a very, very wealthy man. Um, the club itself was fantastic. The people around the the, the town of Morecambe and Lancaster, um, wonderful people, great supporters. Um, and we, like I said, Jim Harvey was the coach. We had Andy Much was the assistant coach, um, former striker for Wolves. And the way we wanted to play and the way Jimmy wanted to play was, was fantastic. They were the most attractive style in, in the conference. Um, obviously got promoted from the conference into League Two, into League One. And then, unfortunately, this year they got relegated back to, to League Two. But um, they built a brand new stadium. Um, they're a club that's that's on the rise. Um, yeah. Like I say, I'm, I'm, I was delighted for all the people that was there in the background, the kit men, um, the laundry ladies, the, the office staff, whenever they did get promoted because the hours they put in at the football club and it is a community club. Um, the, everyone in the town gets behind them and yeah, it, it was great to see them. Um, at Wembley, um, Jim Bentley, who was the captain when I was there, he was still captain when they won the, the playoffs. <laughs> to see him walk up the Wembley steps and pick up the trophy was, was a joy to watch. That's amazing. Um, and just touching on, uh, tangenting away from the career chat for a bit, um, obviously the Premier League season and, you know, championship seasons and all that are just come to a finish now. And we know the teams that have been promoted and relegated and whatnot. Um, what are your thoughts on Luton Town getting promoted to the Premier League? Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. It's a fairy tale story. Um, I think it's the, like the first team that's ever gone from the top to the bottom and back up to the top league. Yeah, right. I didn't know that stuff. But yeah, look, Luton, you know, I played there a few times. Um, it's a great little town. I know some uh, guys that used to play there and they speak very, very fondly of, of Luton Town as a as a club. You know, Kevin Gallon, a good friend of mine, was there for, for a while and scored many goals for Luton Town. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great story. It's a great, um, I think it's a great example really of, um, what you can achieve with good people, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think they've got one player there. His name escapes me, but he's gone all the way through from the conference all the way through to Premier League with the with the club. Yeah, now. which is is amazing. It is, and I think it, that speaks volumes of the club as well. That yes, they re- they reward loyalty in that way. Um, and I th- look, I think I wish them all the very best in the, in the league next season. And you know, two hundred million pound windfall is going to help them a hell of a lot. So. Um, yeah, look, it's a fantastic story and I look forward to watching them play next year. Oh, absolutely. Like I myself, I'm a Leeds United fan and obviously, as you know, they got relegated. But I mean, it, it stings, but it's great to see a, a team like Luton Town, not the usual suspects going promotion, relegation, promotion, relegation all the time. The, a team that's really worked so hard for so long to get promoted again is, and that, you know, they're back in. So it's it's great to see that. I just hope, obviously, Leeds can get promoted again at the end of next year. I don't know whether that'll happen or not. Um, mm. And Wrexham, obviously, they're promoted back into finally, um, I think it's uh, League Two. 
which is amazing to see that. Obviously, Brian Reynolds and his counterpart have done such an amazing job uh, from taking over there. Um, and the, I just want to get your thoughts before we continue the the chinwag um, about the A-League Grand Final coming up on Saturday. It is the Central Coast Mariners, obviously, up against Melbourne City. Who do you yeah. think is going to win? Um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, look, I think it's... It's fitting that the top two teams is is playing in the grand final. Um, yeah, the, for me, they've, they've probably been the two best teams all season, most consistent teams all season. Um, I think of what Nick Montgomery's done with um, his team and his clubs, fantastic. Um, I think you can just actually see, you know, from the first whistle that they're all playing for each other. They're all playing for the yeah. club, playing for Monty. Um, Melbourne City's obviously been the benchmark for the last four or five years in, in the oh, yeah. I think yep. it's going to be a, a fantastic game. Um, I think, you know, obviously, with the game being in New South Wales now, I think the Mariners will probably have the most support there, obviously. Uh, I, I myself am a Mariners fan, uh, raised, raised on the Central Coast, currently living on the Central Coast. Um, so from what I've seen in the Facebook groups and whatnot, there's definitely a, a fair few thousand who are definitely at least going to the game. Yeah. Yeah, look, and I think it's, I think it's, it'll be a fantastic game. Um Who's going to win? I'm not sure. I think in, in the previous occasions they've played each other this year, you know, it's been really tense affairs and really. It's tight. been. It has, yeah. It's been. I won't be surprised if it goes down to penalties. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's they they've been difficult to separate them all season. Um, yep. So I wouldn't be surprised either. And I think you know, there's a lot, a lot of emotion around the, the game as well. Obviously, with the um, Mariners' first grand final in ten years and Scott Jamison retiring. Um, so and the, Jason Cummings possibly leaving as well, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, possibly Jason leaving as well. So there's there's a lot of things attached to the to the grand final. And I think um, if if everyone can just play the game and not the the emotion and not the politics, yeah, yeah I think we'll, we'll we'll have a fantastic game. Ab- absolutely agreed. And um, the reason I brought that up was to tangent into your time at Sydney FC because the first season you're at Sydney FC. You guys win a grand final against the Central Coast Mariners, which was the inaugural season of the A-League. First of all, what was it like moving all the way over to the other side of the world? Um, You know, from literally everything, you know, to hot, bothersome Australia, all that sort of stuff. Um, What was was it like your first season? And of course, capping it off with a win, winning the grand final. Yeah, look, it was a, it was a big move in terms of, uh, distance and uh, obviously my family was all still in Ireland so when I was living in England it was easy to, to jump on a plane, uh, plane and be um, back in Ireland within a couple of hours so yep. um, yeah to move to the other side of the world my um, wife Emma is from Australia um, so uh, she had been with me in, in London since I was at QPR so oh, so that would have made it a little bit easier sort of thing yeah well Emma wanted to come home um I was at Morecambe at the time. Uh, the A League was just starting, so it was a it was a new adventure for us, and it was a good opportunity for us to to move to Australia, be part of a new league. Mm-hmm. Um, our probably our first port of call would have been Perth, where Emma's from. Um, yeah, but back then Steve McMahon was the the manager, and he already signed his. I think it was four foreigners you were allowed at the time. Yep. Um, so I went to Sydney FC on trial. Um, <clears throat> was there for. Supposed to be a week's trial, but ended up being two weeks. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Ian Crook, 
um, was the assistant coach who took all the trialists. Yeah, uh, Pierre yep. was obviously the manager. Um, and day after the second week, myself, I signed. Uh, Dave Carney had signed the week prior to me signing. Then Matthew Bingley came in. Um, and I think I was the last player signed, so that was the, the, the squad complete. Um, and yeah, we got down to work. Um, sorry, there was one more player to come in. That was Dwight York. We find yep. that out later on um, when we were on pre-season. But I was the last of the trialists to get signed. Um, but it, yeah, it was fantastic. We, we got to work straight away. And we knew just from the mentality that Pierre had um, as a head coach and the standards that he set that, you know, we were we were going to be successful. We didn't know how yeah. successful, um, but we knew that every single thing that we were doing, whether it was, you know, Sheva in the mornings or whatever it was, Pierre, you had to win. So if it yeah. was a, even a game of tennis or whatever, he just instilled that winning mentality in us. We, we this one training session it was about 37, 38 degrees out at Football New South Wales. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, on the back pitch, like before they were synthetic, they were grass pitches. And <clears throat> the, we were playing, it was a five-a-side. And the rule was the, the session finished if you won three games in a row. Okay. That, that's all it was. <laughs> we thought, okay. That's and it. how long did five-a-side five, five side go for? Like how many minutes per game? So it was probably three minutes per game. Yeah. Uh, but it was intense. It was in a small area. There was four teams. Um, winner stays on. And you just yeah, rotate, okay. You just yep. rotate line. So he said, look, it's up to you. You win three games, the session finishes. No problem. Yeah, cool. We, we, were, <laughs> we were playing. So you'd win two, then you'd get beat. You'd win oh. you'd beat. Someone else would win two. But you'd have to win three in a row. Not two and then a few later win one. No, it had to be three on the bounce. Wow. So we, we were there for about three and a half hours. <laughs> until Ian Crook actually pulled uh, Pierre and said, "Look, the boys are cooked. They're finished. <laughs> yeah, they have to keep going. They have." To, and that was it. It was just yeah. the mentality, and no one wanted to lose. So everyone, yeah, trying to win. Um, and then, yes, yeah, I think the pre-season we started that was probably February. Yeah, February, um, and then the league didn't start until August. So there was obviously a break between the NSL and the A League starting. I think we played about 20 pre-season games, including a trip to um, Dubai for pre-season, plus mm-hmm. the Oceania, Oceania Champions League. We went to Tahiti, mm-hmm. tournament over there. So You did, yeah. We played over 20 pre-season games, and I think we only lost one. Wow. So, so if, that doesn't, if that doesn't say, you know, an omen as to how the season was going to go for you, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah. And then look, uh, probably the the most difficult week probably in that season was when we lost to Melbourne Victory 5-0 down at Olympic. Mm. Um, and I remember we we came into the change room on the Monday morning after the game. Obviously, we, we came back. We'd been embarrassed. And I think Archie Thompson scored a hat-trick. And um, I can't remember who got the other goals. But yeah, they, they absolutely annihilated us that day. And Pierre made us watch the whole game again. Uh, yeah, on the Monday for training, and I remember walking in the change rooms, and he had he had written on the on the wall with a permanent marker. Um, no one likes a loser, so everyone, <laughs> wow. And he said it's better to lose one game five nil than five games one nil. This doesn't happen. Yeah, before. that's true. Yeah, that's a good that's a good saying. 
Yeah, and it, and below it he said, "This doesn't happen again." Yeah, and that, that was it. It was we went and watched the the DVD. Um, back in them days, there was no sports code or anything. We had to cut. <laughs> yeah, no, there was none of that. So it was the full thing from start to finish. Um, he didn't say a word. None of the coaches said a word. As soon as it was finished, he turned it off and walked away. And yep. that was just the mentality of that group was that we were going to go and win the grand final. Yep. So, um, yeah, that we got through Adelaide, won the minor premiership, um, deservedly. So they were, it was us and Adelaide all the way through uh, that season. And then back then, the semi finals was two legged. Um, well, it is now. It's, it's yeah, back to two legs now. Back to two legs. And Adelaide obviously had the, um, the right really to to decide where they wanted to play, and they decided to play the first leg in Adelaide, um, which yep. we drew two, two, and then we knew we had the second leg back at Allianz. Um, mm-hmm. I think we won two one. Mark Rudin scored, and I think Alvin Checkley might have scored a free kick. Um, and then yeah, that was it into the grand final against the Mariners. Um, probably the first ten minutes, we should have been at least one, probably two goals down. I think Andre Gumprick missed a really good chance. Uh, Stuart Petrie missed a good chance. They bottled quite a few at the start of that game. Yeah. Um, but Clint Bolton for us was immense the whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was by the 60th minute, um, Dwight made a run into the box. Um, no one really tracked him. Um, stood off him, stood off him until he, he found his way into the box, squared it for Steve Corica. Um and yeah, he put a, I think it was through Alex Wilkinson's legs and under Danny Vukovic, and that was it, one nil. Yep. And then yeah, yep. the last I think the Swans won the AFL that year, and mm-hmm. right, right on the siren, Leo Barry took a mark. Yeah, uh, he did. And all I remember from the grand final is that Tim Bolton did the exact same thing. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Matt Osman um, launched the ball into the box. And Clint Bolton rose above everyone and plucked this ball out of the sky. And yep. then I, I knew then that was, yeah, that's it. We've that, that was the match sealer sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and just just um, tangenting real quick, obviously from your Gaelic football days, when you moved over to Australia, did you start following AFL by any chance? Yeah, I did. Um, obviously, Ty Kennelly was playing for the Swans at the time. Yep. Um, so do you follow the Swans because of Ty Kennelly or do you have a different team? No, I follow the Swans because of Ty um, so we started, uh, there's an Irish paper in, in Sydney, the Irish Post, and we did a, a few things together for that. We did a few things at the Gailey Club, and so we got um, pretty friendly. Um, yep. So he would get me tickets for the game, and I'll give him tickets to the Sydney FC games, and he'd come and watch the boys play. And, um, yeah, so nice. Yeah, you know, I'd go and watch the Swans as, as often as I could. Um, and even when, when Tag retired and he... He was he was still there as a staff, and then he left. And I think he's at GWS now. But I, I think so. Watching. Yeah, yeah. He's I think he's a development coach there. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll try and go and watch the Swans as much as I could um, when, yep. when I was in Sydney. I'm I'm a Collingwood fan myself, so um, yeah. but definitely uh, it's always interesting to you know people who uh, there's a lot of Gaelic football. Obviously, people who may not know, Gaelic football is very similar to Aussie rules AFL football. Um, yeah. It's not the same, obviously. It is. It's just very similar, um, and that's why I always like to ask when there's a person with a Gaelic football background that I have on the podcast if they follow Aussie rules or AFL, whether or not they ended up in the AFL or not. Um, yeah. And so, obviously, your time at Sydney was obviously the the longest part of your career. You know, 2005 to 2014 as a player. Um, yeah. Two grand finals, um, you know, 
honestly, you, you achieved it all uh, at Sydney FC. My first question, well, my next question, you could say really about that is how did you handle the difference in um, season layout or format compared to over in the UK where, you know, in the A-League, there's a grand final and a finals system, whereas it's um, UK is promotion relegation based down to the final week, you know, match week sort of thing, no big grand final sort of thing. Yeah, look, I was probably used to the playoff system in the lower leagues in England. Um, mm -hmm. With the playoffs to try and get into the, the league above. Uh, yeah, true. Uh, but it, it, it took me a while to get my head around that the the grand final winner was classed as a champion. Yeah, um, okay. Yep. That if, obviously, over the course of a season, and it's a league, it's not a cup competition. So over the course of a league, um, back then it was only 21 games. Yeah. So over the course of the that first season in particular, Adelaide United was the champions. You know, they, they, they were consistently at the top of the league. They finished on with the most points amassed over a season. Um, but yet the history books show that Sydney FC was the inaugural champions of the A-League. Gotcha. So like by by the laws of the Premier League, Adelaide United were the champions. But because there was that grand final, it's you know, Sydney yeah. FC are the are the champions. Yeah, and look, I think there's you know there's no right or wrong way. Um, no, it's just the way it is. And I think in Australia, you look at AFL, you look at NRL, and all the other codes. Everyone loves a final series. They love a top six, a top eight, a top four, whatever it may be. Um, and obviously, for us, thankfully that that first season in particular, we won the grand final, and that was it. Yeah, 2010 was a little bit different, obviously, because we won the the premiership and the, the grand. You got final. the you got the double. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look. In terms of um, adjusting to Australian football, um, the thing that I missed was the number of games. Uh, mm -hmm. I was only playing back then, 21. I think when I finished, we might have been playing 26. Um, whereas in the UK, you know, you're playing 40 plus. Yeah, 35, 36 league games plus cup games plus intermediary cups, whatever. So you're talking back then, I was still playing international. So you probably look at 50 games a year. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so the, you're like, what do I do with all this time off? Well, the, the difficult thing, CJ, was that to maintain that level of match sharpness and fitness, um, you actually had to train harder during the week than during the game. Yeah, shit. Yeah, no, that does. So probably on a seven-day turnaround, probably day three, the conditioning day was was actually harder than a game. Um, you know, you do your 4v4, small-sided games, MAS runs, everything that, the, you know, they wanted you to do basically, uh, and that was a harder session than the actual game itself. So that for me was was probably the biggest adjustment was that the amount of training we did as opposed to in the UK. Whereas pre-season in the UK is probably six seven weeks max. Mm -hmm. You get a real baseline and a, a foundation of fitness, and then it's just basically playing games, recover, play, recover, play. Whereas in Australia, pre-season's 13, 14 weeks. You probably yep. first week of testing, then you probably have three two to three weeks of foundation building up and then you're into preseason games so you're um you probably play another 10 11 games in preseason um and then the good thing now obviously they've introduced the FFA cup or the Australia cup whatever it's called now so that gives the boys a, a few more games during the preseason as well yeah uh, but yeah look i think on the, on the whole i enjoyed my time playing in the a league yeah, nice. Um, so I've got some final questions uh, followed by 
um, some quick fire fun ones and then wrapping it up with what's next. So my next, so my first question is, I mean, we did mention it earlier, but um, who was the biggest influence on you as a person? I'm guessing it's, it's your uncle. Yeah, definitely my uncle Mark. Um, there's no question that, yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, this one I thought of the other day. So it's, you're actually the first guest I'm going to ask this with. What are three life lessons that you've learned that you wish you knew when you were younger? Oh. Or if there's not three, even just one. I think never get too carried away with success. Mm-hmm. Never too down um, with failure. Um, maintain a positive attitude and um, uh, that's probably about it to be honest yeah nice Um, and so the quick fire questions first of all Apple or Android Apple absolutely what's your favourite movie Scarface oh great film first (laughs) guess that I've had that's ever said that movie but it's such a great film Uh, what's your favourite type of music country music Okay. Uh, any particular artist or country music in general? Uh, country music in general, to be honest. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. Have you got Luke Coombs tickets? No, I haven't. No? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what's your favourite food? Favourite food? Um, I do like salmon and salad. Um, yeah, nice. But I've probably been eating too many burgers recently. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, then what's your favourite type of burger? Oh, there's a little chip shop near me um, mm-hmm. in Perth, and they do a burger with a lot, which is, yeah. Bit, yeah, bit nice. Two more <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what's your favourite drink? Um, well, I've just got a cappuccino delivered off there, so um, yep. yeah, I'll say cappuccino. Yeah, very nice. I was literally about to ask what's your coffee order, but we now know what your coffee order is, which is cappuccino. Um, yeah. So my final two questions, they're not quick fire. First of all, uh, what's obviously on the screen, Mercer and McFlynn, what's that? Uh, let everyone know, you know, what, what that's all about. Yeah, look, obviously when I retired from playing, I worked at Sydney FC as a um, football operations manager for a few years. Um, and then I moved across here to Perth. I worked at the academy at, at Perth Glory for a while as well. And um, when I left Perth Glory, um, we wanted to stay in, in Perth. So I've always had a, a passion for helping people. Um, and, you know, during my time at Sydney FC and at, at Perth, you know, I was helping a lot of the players with transitioning from country to uh, Australia and helping them with their careers and um, settling them into clubs. And, um, yeah, so we, we decided to set up a, a football agency. Um, yeah, and nice. Working with a lot of good young players at the minute with their careers and, and guiding them on on what, which way to go with their careers and presenting opportunities for them and hopefully some of them will go on and um, have the privilege that I had for a long time of calling myself a professional footballer and if we can yeah. help, help them on that journey then that's what that's what we want to do. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. And my last question is, what's next for Terry McFlynn? Oh, look. With my business partner Tony, um, we're we're really enjoying what we're doing at the minute, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, we've got some really good good young players that are on the cusp of um, doing good things. Um, so yeah, we're excited to be on the journey with some of them players and, and adding to the to the players that we currently have and, and creating opportunities down the track. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just quickly click stop recording.